0: Hello, and welcome to the pre-mid years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. A welcome to the pre-mid years. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. Today, I have an amazing guest, an amazing artist, a great friend that I know from the Board Rounds podcast, which if you're listening to this, you probably haven't listened to that one yet because that is for first and second year medical students. My guest today is Dr. Mike Natter. You can find him on Instagram at Mike. Natter, and he is doing his residency right now on his way to fellowship in the great city of New York, and we have an amazing discussion about his journey, his struggles with science and math, and and overcoming a lot of self-doubt and trying to put out the thoughts that he wasn't good enough to be a physician. Dr. Mike Natter, welcome to the pre med years. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Dr. Ryan Gray, I am honored to be here. I have so much fun talking to you
0: on the Board Rounds podcast that I'm like, hey, let's introduce you to the pre meds, right? Board Rounds is for medical students. Let's introduce you to the pre med students out there and hopefully give them some motivation about you and your journey and, and what you've accomplished and struggled with and succeeded with on the way. So thanks for taking some time
1: it is my pleasure i'm actually really happy to do this i feel very strongly actually about uh, kind of chatting with the the pre-meds and the medical students it's it's uh it was such a journey such a convoluted journey for me that i always wanted to somehow give back or at least kind of talk about my story so this is a great platform to do so
0: so not typically a place where i go but when you mention that the the thing that kind of goes off in my head is like, wow, there's there's a physician out there, right? A resident out there who wants to give back and talk to pre-med students and, and other medical students and, and potentially, maybe I'm wrong here, but potentially not go, oh, don't go into medicine. It's it's not what it used to be, right? Um, <laughs> so why why do you think... So many physicians out there, whether residents, attending physicians, a lot of uh, more senior attending physicians are very negative to
1: medicine now. I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think, you know, and I, I should preface this with the fact that I had no medicine in my family at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always wonder what it would be like if I did and whether or not my folks would have kind of steered me away. And I, I think the issue is is a, a, a couple of reasons. So the following one, medicine has changed so much. And a lot of what's changed has been this kind of uh, pendulum swing from individual physician autonomy, um, away into this kind of conglomeration of hospitals that are calling the shots, um, mm-hmm. and insurance companies and reimbursement rates. And the financial impact of that has been kind of pretty deleterious in terms of physicians are not making anywhere near what they used to one. Yep. And two, a lot of the kind of higher up decisions that physicians used to kind of make as being the you know, head or CEO of whatever they wanted to be doing has also shifted to folks that don't necessarily have medical clinical, medical backgrounds. And so I can see that being very frustrating if you are of the old guard and now all of a sudden this autonomy is being stripped from you and your, your your bottom line is being stripped from you. I I could see that being frustrating. Yeah. I also think that there's been this shift into you know, the new age. So now you also have EMRs and you have a lot of technology and you have a lot of computerized things, especially if you're an older physician. Like my father, who's a lawyer, um, he's an older guy and everything he does is on paper. And all of a sudden, you know, things have turned into uh, electronic and he struggles with the kind of electronic stuff. And I can only imagine what it's like to be, you know, a 60, 70, 80 year old doc who likes to write things down and has a system. And now all of a sudden you're being told it's got to be different. So that's got to suck too.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, right? As you mentioned, it's not what it used to be. Right. And especially from a pay perspective, right? We've all heard these stories of cardiologists way back in the day, right? Just general cardiologists making a million dollars and, but several hundred thousand dollars is still not bad, uh, but it's different. And it's funny just this morning, um, actually, I was listening to a podcast episode where they were talking about just change, right? Just change in general. And they were talking about the Red Cross and the Red Cross during World War II used to give out donuts to our GI servicemen for free. Mm. And at, at some point, right, the government asked the Red Cross to start charging because all of our ally forces were having to pay for their stuff and they were getting mad that the, that the U.S. soldiers got donuts for free. Mm. And and to this day, right? This is World War II, 60 years ago. To this day, if you go and ask veterans or anyone, they're, they're like, oh, the Red Cross, they suck. They made us pay for donuts. Right? And it was only for like a year or something. It wasn't very long, but it was a change. And that's what really hit the majority of people was that change. And so we have physicians out there who are going through this change while they're working, and they don't like that. Humans don't like change. And they are putting the kind of their experiences and, and their hatred of change and pushing that onto students going, oh, it's not what it used to be. But students don't know what it used to be. And so it's like, well, let them experience what it is now. And of course, things will change more. Um, so it's, it's always funny that, that we're, we're giving a lot of these physicians out there kind of telling students to stay away because it's not what it used to be, even though the, the, the students will never know what what used to be was.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like if if your whole existence is in one specific uh, kind of environment, then that you haven't changed the environment. So if that's all, you know, you don't actually mind it as much because that's what you've adapted to.
0: Exactly. So let's go back to when you first realized you wanted to be a physician. That's typically where I start an episode like this.
1: Sure, sure. Um, So I, you know, I have to say, I probably always was interested in medicine on some level as I think everyone is. I mean, everyone has some interface with medicine, you know, as a kid getting booster shots or going for checkups and so on. But I kind of viewed medicine or being a doctor or going to medical school, um, kind of like, uh, you know, I grew up in New York city. If I were to ride the subway and I saw someone in their white coat or in their scrubs, I would have this kind of sense of awe, you know, Mm -hmm. this sense of, wow, that what an amazing person they are, or like seeing an astronaut, yeah, you know? like Putting them up on a pedestal. It's a pedestal. Like you're yeah. an astronaut. You're something that I would love to aspire to become, but I know that I won't ever, you know? And I'm okay with that because who can really be an astronaut? It was kind of this unattainable <laughs> goal that I could never achieve, but I always kind of looked at with a sense of respect and would kind of fantasize about maybe potentially that could, that would be cool, but I know I wouldn't be able to.
0: Did you have and- any reason for kind of talking yourself down off that ledge? Like, were you not a great student? Did you have any struggles? Like, did you have any reason for that?
1: Yes, all the above. So I, I, my background is in art. I was very naturally kind of taken to the arts and the humanities, and that's something that came um, very easily to me and something I excelled in. Something I didn't excel in and that came very difficult to me was math and science. I was bad, very, very bad and our school system is structured uh, and when I say our I mean everyone in in the United States has a school system that's structured in a way that it's a rigid way of learning math and science and uh, you're taught that if you don't do well in this rigid system that you are maybe not that smart or you're not a quote-unquote math and science person so I would have to be in remedial math classes I'd have to repeat classes I'd have to you know stay after school and and you know get extra help in these kinds of things and what that did was, you know, my peers, my teachers, my parents would say, it's okay, honey, you're just not a math and science person. And so it kind of uh, reinforced this Mm -hmm. concept in me that I could never uh, excel in that field. And therefore I could never potentially go into a a profession or I was intimidated to consider a profession that was kind of hinged upon doing well in those subjects.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously you have to be an amazing uh, math and science person to become a physician, right?
1: Exactly, <laughs> top of the uh, which charts. Is, which is amazing because I uh, can hardly do math today, and yet I would consider myself a pretty competent position. <laughs> yes, a,
0: a very, a very recent uh, board rounds podcast. We we had to do some math, and uh, both of us were struggling with that one. That was a fun Correct. one. Um, so. How far kind of down this journey of being an artist and, and going down that path did you get before kind of something was tapping on your shoulder going, hey, this isn't right?
1: Well, I have to say it was um, something else happened kind of pivotal in my childhood, which was when I was a couple of weeks after my ninth birthday, I became very, very ill um, and I actually went into a coma and I was found to have a blood sugar of 1,600.
0: Hey, that's not very high, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's about... <laughs> um, so just for some some uh, perspective, a, a normal blood sugar is between kind of 80 and 180 at the most. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of off the charts and I was very sick. And so basically I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes.
0: Yeah, so a little and DKA, right? Which is a-
1: I was in the DKA's, yeah. I was in the diabetic ketoacidosis. Yeah. Um, which can be fatal, and I was close to death. I was it was a very harrowing experience, but it it um, it was a weird kind of insight into the physiology. It, it took something that our bodies do or your bodies do naturally, which is your pancreas um, kind of regulates your blood glucose on its own and you eat, and you exercise, and your body says, I'm gonna give you this amount of insulin, and I'm gonna hold off on this insulin, and you never experience high or low blood sugars. Now, I was thrust, you know, at nine, I was thrust with this responsibility of of regulating this homeostasis of blood sugar, which is extremely difficult, but what it did was gave me this appreciation for physiology. I was amazed, I thought this was kind of elegant and beautiful and interesting. Yeah,
0: and and potentially, uh, kind of putting words into your mouth or kind of experiences into your, your life is, is what you were just talking about is seeing these these physicians putting them, up on, uh, putting them up on a pedestal. Now you're interacting with them a lot more and potentially seeing them more as regular people.
1: That's correct, and and interestingly, in in pediatric endocrinology, which is the field of medicine that would take care of kids with diabetes, I noticed that there were a lot of uh, clinicians and practitioners who themselves had type one diabetes, and so I could see myself in their shoes a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and um, you know, despite still having these kinds of inherent fears and supposed just lacking skills of doing well in math and science, I became a lot more passionate about. Uh, medicine and so, I, I the passion kind of dug in a little deeper, um, it w- which was still at odds with this kind of fear of math and science.
0: Would you say that the the fear of math and science and and kind of being told and this reinforcement that you're not good at it was that? Just putting a block on trying to get better at it, and you're like, "Well, there's no reason that I should try because I'm just not." And now, all of a sudden, you're like, "Well, these other people are here. They're kind of like me. Maybe I can do it. Let me let me try." Is that is that kind of the path that you went down to to get better at it, or at least good enough at it?
1: Um, it's it's a good question, Ryan. But it wasn't at that phase yet. I was still very much had that block, and so I still very much took every kind of uh, active step I could to, to cautiously step around or over having to take or be confronted with the math and science. And so I kind of went the path of least resistance and I kind of continued down this art path. Okay. So what I decided to do was I actually started studying studio art in undergrad and kind of went that direction. Um, and again, there wasn't really anyone championing this concept to say, no, 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 no. Give, medicine a shot or reconsider this. There wasn't any of that. And uh, there was always support. My parents were always very supportive of anything I wanted to do. Uh, But I myself was kind of still timid. And I said, No, 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 I'm not going to go down that route. Um, So it wasn't really until later, actually, it was really in my uh, midway, really toward the end of my undergraduate experience that I started to develop um you know I, you know quite honestly i thought of myself as dumb i thought i was a dumb kid i thought I was the mm-hmm. kid who was good at math and science who was interested in things but just not that smart it's kind of how i would describe myself or thought of myself at that okay. time okay and then in in my junior year of uh, college i started taking some classes that i found interesting which were kind of neuroscience based because i became really fascinated with perception and the brain and it was the first time in my entire life that I started to get a's in what I would call difficult science based classes and the first time in my life that I developed what I would call is like an academic confidence in myself
0: interesting was that a strategic path to go let me let me dip my toes in the water of this one class over here Was that something you you had to take
1: no no it was uh not at all it was uh I, I was at this point where I kind of uh I didn't care about my grades in the sense that as long as I was passing, I said, I don't care about like GPAs and numbers. Uh, and I went to a very kind of liberal arts, humanities based uh, undergrad where, you know, the professors kind of know your name and you can go get beards with them after class. And it was very small sizes. And it was kind of this idea of you know, there's no such thing as curves. It was kind of like you put in the effort and go for it and see what happens. And the repercussions are minimal. And so I decided you know, I have this interest, um, you know, I'm gonna, I only have another year or so of, uh, or a year and a half of uh, uh, undergrad left. Let me let me dive in. So took some of these classes and one of the professors actually took note of how interested I was. And he mm-hmm. said, yeah, come here, come, come, uh, come work with me in my lab a little bit. Let's write a thesis. Let's do some research together. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not one of those kids. I'm, I'm not the kind of kid that does that. He goes, What are you talking about? I was like, well, you know, this is outside of my level of uh, comfort and there's math and stats. He says, No, 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 no. We'll do it together. I'll help you with the math. You do the stuff you're interested in. And he really kind of took me under his wing. And again, it was the first time that someone kind of um, fostered that academic interest, and it blossomed into this confidence that allowed me to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish uh, uh, undergrad. And I'm gonna go into a what's called a post-bac pre-medical program.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how many people <laughs> I talk to uh, kind of stumble and and just struggle along the way, and it's not until a, a mentor kind of takes takes a student under their wing that that things start to happen. Right, It's, it's the, the same hero's journey that kind of every movie is is based off of this storytelling arc of 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 this person struggling and and they meet a, a kind of guide and they go and fight their their journey, right? Uh, Luke Skywalker has Yoda and Neo has mm-hmm. Morpheus and and right, right. so on and so on and so on. And so you finally, had some exposure to a mentor who, who helped you and realized that, hey, I, I am good at this if I, if I want to be. Exactly. That's awesome. So at that point, right, a lot of students will go, well, it's too late. I, I can't go and be a doctor. I wasn't, quote, unquote, pre-med in undergrad. How did you figure out about the, the fact that there are these things called post back programs out there?
1: Yeah, so you know, again, it was it was. I describe a kind of that like uh, you know, come to Jesus moment. Like the, the 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 clouds parted, and you know, the the sky had this one beam of light that shone down on me, and it gave me this kind of very clear. Like I'm a very terrible decision maker, and it gave me this very clear decision. You need to do your best to try to see about what you can do to do medicine. <laughs> So I kind of just went online and I, I kind of dug into it and I said, well, you know, I'm already almost done with undergrad. I can't, you know, bear the idea of staying extra and taking all these classes and it'd be expensive and all this. So I, I looked into what people do in my situation and I found out that there is this very robust kind of uh avenue of post-bac and there's numerous ways to do it i mean there's also certain um like uh, masters of science programs where you can actually get degrees and all this stuff but the idea of post-bac is post meaning after and back is short for baccalaureate so you have your bachelor's degree you finished college but you didn't take or in my case you very deliberately didn't take you know your calc and your orgos and your physics Mm -hmm. um or in some cases you did, but you did not do as well as you needed to do. And so these post programs basically provide folks like us the opportunity to take a one, two, or in some cases, three-year program where you are essentially taking those undergrad classes, but only those classes. And yep. in doing so, I just gained this real respect for the people that do pre-med and undergrad because, good Lord, I mean, <laughs> I was taking two pre-med classes and that's it. And these people were taking those plus their other requirements, and plus their extracurriculars, and also trying to be a college student. And I honestly don't know how anyone can do that. It's just not feasible. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> plenty of people are doing it. So people feasible, it. Yeah. feasible Why for would... a lot of students. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of people are like, uh, yeah, definitely, I'm going to go that other route. And so the just kind of definitions for people listening that you were talking about, right? So, so someone like yourself who was more on the liberal arts humanities side and not the hard sciences for your undergrad. You went and you would have found a what's called a career changer post-bac program for someone who didn't take those sciences classes in college. And then for... Students who did take the sciences, maybe they wanted to be a physician but didn't do well, um, those are the academic enhancer programs. And so there are both programs out there. And the AAMC has a great database of all of the post-bac programs that you can search for and search by the type of program that you're looking for. Um, there, there are do-it-yourself programs where you can just go back to the college that you went to or go to community college and take more classes and the classes that you need. Is that something you looked into or did you know you wanted a more formal program?
1: Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I thought that I kind of was bound to taking a more formal program. And I also thought that name of program and prestige of program mattered. Yeah. And um, now looking back on it and not to, not to bash any programs because they're all, I think they all have their, their role. Uh, but I, I do think that there is something to be said about kind of doing maybe a cheaper route Mm. and a more a la carte route where let's say you did great in bio but you didn't take anything else or you didn't do great in other ones going to the community college or going to the lesser known name and cheaper course, um, is I think just as, uh, can work just as well, uh, than going to, you know, the big Ivy league name post back, which I, I did. And I don't have regrets cause it got me to where I needed to be, but I will say it was very expensive and it was very, very, very difficult in terms of the rigor. Yep. Um, and at the end of the day, I do think what you get, like the, the, the GPA and the grade, uh, which I have a hard, I, I feel very, uh, sad about that that uh, at the end of the day you um, tend to get boiled down to a very two-dimensional kind of two numbers of a gpa and an mcat which i think is unfortunate Uh, but because the volume of applications is so high um, you know it is important to have those numbers that are, are up there and so sometimes it is easier to have higher numbers um coming from different programs that maybe aren't as rigorous, you know.
0: Yeah. The the good tweetable quote that I always say is don't don't go to a great institution. Go to an institution that will make you great.
1: Um, I like and that's that. different I, for that's everyone. Reasonable. Yeah. I think that's a very reasonable way to to look at it yeah
0: and and now, uh, obviously, being on the other side and being in residency and working together with all your co-residents and attendings, like everyone has taken a different path. And you're like, oh, like not everyone went to the Ivy League school and made it here. right it's there everyone everyone takes their own journey
1: everyone does. And, and And that journey that you take and that individual path that you go, I guess I was dubbed like the non-traditional route or whatever it would be called, mm-hmm. is um, I think. Well, let me put it this way. I have a a thing I I said to a medical student who was on my service once, and I really liked um, how this how they took this information and the discussion that, that came afterward. And I said, what I've noticed is that with every successive year of my training in medicine, starting from, you know, the pre pre med years to now, it feels as though the test scores and the rote memorization and that knowledge counts less and less and the interaction and the life skills and kind of who you are as a person counts more and more. Yeah. And I really believe that. So there is some, you, you know, there is a, the unfortunate truth that you do need to do somewhat well, improve yourself academically on some level to get in. Mm-hmm. But once you're in, I, I do think it's important to recognize that you are so much more than your numbers. You're so much more than your MCAT or your step one score and your patients, you know, there's a great, um, quote, I think it's a, um, uh,
0: uh, I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. It's, uh, it's not who's that? No, it's the woman, the the female. Um, Oh no, I was thinking of, I think, I think,
1: I think I'm thinking of Osler. The, um, oh. the patient doesn't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care.
0: Yeah. One. Yeah. No, that's exactly who I'm thinking about.
1: Yeah. Um, but it's, it's true, right? Like, you know, I, I, I always ask my, my non-medical friends, do you, do you know what your doc got on their step one or do you know where they went to med school? Even and a lot of them, like, no, I'm like, do you care? Like, no, (laughs) you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just, I quickly Googled that. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt is coming up as the person who said it. Um,
1: Oh, that's right. Maybe it is Roosevelt quote, but there's, there's something very, very, um, true about that. That kind of rings true. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. Um, and and I'm sure
0: you see that every day with your patient interactions is, is a lot of times there's a barrier between you and the patient. And when they realize that you're on their team and you care about them, then that that wall comes down.
1: It's totally true. Yeah.
0: So you you go and you do this post program. What was the hardest thing for you having gone through this process like growing up your whole life going, "Well, I'm not very good. I'm not very good at, at math and science and STEM or whatever. And now all of a sudden you're throwing yourself into this post program that not only is supposed to put you through the ringers academically through uh, the STEM courses, but also does cost a lot of money. And, and potentially a lot of people think is like, oh, this is, if I don't do well this, then, I can't be a doctor. So you have all of this pressure, kind of leading to this one point.
1: Yeah, it is uh, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I made myself sick. It was um, it was it was the most stressful time of my life. Yeah. Um. I what basically everything you just described is exactly true. You've kind of put what you feel is all of these eggs in one basket. Yeah. You, they tell you, you should not go into medicine unless you can envision yourself doing anything. Like if you can envision yourself doing anything else, you should not do medicine. And so I had no plan B. If I didn't somehow get into some medical program and become some form of physician, then I didn't know what I was going to do. And so here I am, you know, at a very expensive program that is extremely difficult. Um, And then the culture shock for me was also interesting. So I went to um, a very, very good program, an Ivy League program that was structured essentially was the antithesis to what i had done in undergrad where i went from small class sizes where the professor would go out and get a drink with you no curves anything like that to i'm in these huge kind of beautiful wooden you know auditoriums with these huge chalkboards and these brilliant professors where sometimes they'd have to miss class because they were working on the cern accelerator in europe and they had to have <laughs> their ta teach you know that kind of stuff and i'm surrounded by like actual geniuses, like these brilliant kids, you know, at these institutions who were there for undergrad and then also these post And it was intimidating. And I, I came in with like a massive imposter syndrome, but it just kind of got worse and worse and worse. And I, my, my favorite anecdote at that time was um, one of the first courses I had to take was calculus. Again, like math, right? Like the worst thing mm-hmm. ever. And um, they gave you these little blue books and <laughs> you'd sit there and you'd take the exam. And I, I mean, I studied.
0: No calculator?
1: Oh, no, you no please. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. yeah. yeah. I had like the uh, whatever that thing is called with the little chips that you have to move on the thing. But I'm, I'm joking. But um, an abacus, I, is that
0: what you're talking about? Yeah, I
1: was going for the abacus. <laughs> I, I, I never studied more like in my life. Like I would do, I would read the textbook three times and do all the practice questions, you know, yeah. and then do them again and then do them again. So I was preparing myself as best as I could. And I sat there and I get this little blue book and I go through the questions. Oh, my God. I don't know what the hell is going on. Like this doesn't yeah. make any sense. So I'm putting all my things in. I submit my book, and I, you know, I'm like, oh boy. And then I get my <laughs> score back. The book comes back, and there's a big fifty-two in a red <laughs> circle on the thing. So I say to myself, okay, I just I failed. Like, no, it's out of fifty. Come on. <laughs> well, well, I open the book up, and uh, you know, it's a B plus. Wow. And I didn't understand. I didn't, didn't, it didn't register to me because in, in undergrad a 52 is a 52 is a 52, right? Like you got basically a half percent of, uh, you got half the material, right? Whereas uh, in this new institution, all of a sudden these curves. So, you know, but what that it bothered me because what that meant was that either the test was written too hard or the professor did a crappy job of teaching. Exactly. Yeah. And now here I am in this environment where you know the average in you know, orgo I think there was averages in the twenties. You know? It's <laughs> like uh, it's like what's going on here. Yeah. So it was very disheartening, and I was I was getting what I felt were respectable grades for me personally, which were Bs. Mm-hmm. But for what I needed to get into medical school was definitely a little bit below where I should have been, and yeah. it was treacherous. It was very scary.
0: So let me, let me uh, press pause on that. Something that I talk a ton about, you mentioned, right? You didn't have a plan B. Now I get a lot of flack for this and, and the, the surgeons will be like, Oh yeah, I I walk into the OR without a plan B all the time. It works out great. I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about people, right? This is like career choice as, as you're a pre-med student. If you want to be a physician, then, then figure out a way to be a physician. And so I, I liked that you said you didn't have a plan B because let me, let me tell you what the alternate reality, uh, Mike Natter would have been if you did have a plan B is you're sitting in your postback program going, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. This is so stressful. Uh, my diabetes is not under control because of all of the stress I'm eating poorly. I'm not sleeping well, right? All of these things. I'm going to go do that other thing that, that I said I would fall back on and you wouldn't be here today.
1: Yeah, no, it's entirely true. It's entirely true.
0: So it, it, that that is where I always go to when I say don't have a plan B is, is just go for it. If this is what you want to do, if this is what you think you're meant to do, then, then figure out a way to do it. And obviously, everything, if you don't get into medical school your first time, which could be likely for a lot of people, then you're your plan is to figure out how to, way to uh, how to improve your application and get in the next time you apply, and not just go be a PA or a nurse or uh, other amazing careers, but not for
1: you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, for sure, and, and 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 sometimes, sometimes, you know, people do realize. I think as they're going through this, like I do have friends from my post back who, um, you know, didn't get in, and so they found alternative directions. And some people did say, you know what, I'm going to try the PA route. Some people said, you know what, I'm actually interested in dentistry. Mm -hmm. Some people said, you know what, I'm going to try a Caribbean school or a DO school. And so there are alternatives that are still within the umbrella of healthcare. um, But I don't think you should consider those at all unless you know for certain that that's that that you know md role is not you know your only choice that the only thing you really want because there's nothing wrong with changing your goal but if you were like me and you said i want to be a physician i want to be an endocrinologist is what i want to do with my life and i'm going to shoot for the top and i have no alternative plan right now then like you said dr gray like you too easily in those times of stress can then fall back and say you know what i'll do the other thing it's easier yeah
0: How did you make it through?
1: So this is interesting, and I think this is specific to myself, but I think can be generalized. And so it's specific to myself because I realized that I learned best by utilizing something that came naturally to me, which was drawing. And the generalization here is that you have to figure out how you can make the material your own. And that could mean a number of things. And for me, it meant if I could somehow visually depict the material then I will do so and that somehow utilizing those visual spatial pathways in my brain um, and then once in med school actually was significantly helpful but um, post back uh, to some degree it, it allowed me to truly um, understand the material but then once you understand it then you can retain it and retrieve it in a way that's applicable
0: yeah so you're you're in your post back you're taking these classes for the first time and and you're Making it through. Uh unfortunately there's this small little test called the MCAT that most most students need to take to get into medical school. Never heard of it. How 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 was that for you again having having gone through this whole process um not being the best science student?
1: Oh, it was horrendous. So I um (laughs) it was yeah, it was horrible. I um It kind of part and parcel to not me not being a very good like uh, academic my life in my life. Uh, it also translated into this uh, kind of like test anxiety and just being a poor test taker and having like terrible test endurance. Um, so I've always been a terrible standardized test taker. Um, but I, I, looking back now and realizing you know, now I do like fairly well in them, and I think it's a lot because you know again it was I was conditioned to believe that I was a bad test taker, and then I started to believe it, and I you know, there's different reasons for that. But needless to say, uh, I, I didn't do beautifully on the MCAT. I did very mediocre on the MCAT. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there's, there's also like a whole business to prepping for the MCAT and there's um, tutors and there's books and there's materials and there's really good podcasts and all these things. So I went the route of uh, a buddy of mine uh, and I, we chipped in and we, we kind of uh, got a tutor together. And this is another really kind of uh, interesting um, story that, will well, stay with me. I'm gonna tell my grandchildren this story. Um, <laughs> we had a very, very reputable tutor who was kind of known of getting people into medical school. Uh, and he uh, helped us with the MCAT. And uh, <laughs> the day before my MCAT, he gives me a call. And he says, I just looked at your GPA and your numbers and your classes. And you know, based on what the work you've done with me, There's no way you're going to get into medical school. In fact, you should be (laughs) taking the MCAT tomorrow. You're going to need to take another year off. You need to take more classes. you got to bolster your GPA. you got to study more for the MCAT. There's no way you're going to get in. I don't want to be associated with you as my student because you're not going to get in. You're going to do bad in your MCAT. This is the day before. This is the night before I woke up to take my MCAT.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great pep talk. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
1: Yep. Yep. Oh. have you ever seen a grown man cry?
0: Um, yes, I have. <laughs> sorry for that. Sorry <laughs> when I for that. look in the mirror sometimes. Oh,
1: I, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, there, there are tears just coming down. It was terrible. And I, I was so disgusted. And I, the whole process I was so disgusted by because I felt as though this whole process was... What kind of people do we want to be physicians at the end of the day? Do we want these automatons that are so brilliant but they can't interact and they have no life and they just go at taking tests? And I said, no. I'm going to be a good physician and screw everyone else and screw everyone who says no to me, including the the postback advisors and deans who said I probably have to cut my losses and this tutor. I said I'm going to just all in. I went all in yeah. and I took it the next day. Yeah. And to his credit. I didn't do that well. I didn't, you know, very, very mediocre. But I somehow was able to kind of find my way into medical school regardless, and I'm I'm very, very, very grateful that I did.
0: What do you think stood out in your application that you were able to get into medical school even though you kind of have all of these people telling you that you likely wouldn't?
1: I had a very unique encounter and a very unique experience that I wish I could say was the norm. Um, but I got into medical school in a very, um, lucky way. Um, and I owe a lot of, uh, the reason I'm here today, even talking to you, the fact that you even know who I am and the fact that I am able to kind of, uh, be in residency and become a physician is because of really one particular person, which was a Dean of admissions at the medical school I went to, which was Jefferson, which is now called Sydney Kimmel Medical College. Mm-hmm. And, um, I applied to about 30 programs and I collected about 29 rejections and this one particular school because they saw past the numbers and they said wait there's something more to this this kid he he's uh, he's an artist and at the time I I'm also a big nerd and a diabetic and at the time I was creating a comic book mm-hmm. and the comic book was about a diabetic superhero named Captain Langerhans and he, <laughs> for the less nerdy, the islets of Langerhans are um, the cells, of the pancreas and the beta cells that create insulin. And so the idea was to basically create this metaphor, um, to, to explain the complex pathophysiology of what diabetes is to recently diagnose kids who get diabetes. That's awesome. And, um, that somehow made its way, um, in, into her, onto her desk. And she, um, she loved it. And she said, you know, something she called me, you know, you're, you're, Application is on the rejection pile. I'm going to pull this. I'm going to get you an interview. And it was the only MD interview that I got. And I went and I'm sitting around this big, long wooden table um, with, you know, in my suit and tie surrounded by these other applicants. And everyone goes around the table. Oh I went to Princeton I went to Harvard I went to Yale. Oh I I went to Skidmore College. Oh, what <laughs> what did you do last summer? Oh I I cured AIDS in Africa. I I'm curing cancer, at, you know, at Slo- Sloan Memorial. I made a comic book, you know, like yeah. <laughs> talk about talk about just feeling wildly you know, imposter syndrome at all times high, you know, but I just felt so honored to just be invited. Yeah. I was just happy to be there. And I ended up having a very uh, good interview, but then was put on the waitlist, mm. and uh, that dean of admissions again kind of really uh, changed my life. And she said, uh, "I got very close to coming off the waitlist, but that last person never dropped." And she said, "I'm going to guarantee you an acceptance for the following year." So what it did was it made me take an additional gap year, uh, which is why I'm 85 years old and still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it, she she really she really looked out for me and she said, I know that you're going to be someone special and I really want you to come to our institution. And I'm here really today because of her. And uh, so Dr. Brooks was uh, the person who took care of me.
0: That's a, the the I, I love everything you're talking about today because it's it's everything that I talk about I, the the students who are out there curing cancer and going to these mission trips and going to Yale and being amazing pre med students right they're they're doing all of the the check boxes for the most part and some of them are really passionate about that kind of stuff which is great. <clears throat> But you were out there doing this thing that you were passionate about and from your experiences. And sure, it wasn't maybe directly related to being a physician, although the, the comment kind of related to medicine in some way, but still kind of your journey, your story, your path. And that's what resonated was was you and your story. and And so many students are either being told or they think that everything they have to do has to point to to medicine and being a physician. And I, I had a student a couple of years ago who was told, like, why are you wasting your time coaching soccer when when you you're saying you want to be a medical student? Well, because soccer's her life, and she loves it. and and that's what she's passionate about. And I told her, I'm like, go, go coach soccer because coaching soccer tells me that you're a great communicator. You're a great leader. You're, you're doing all these other things that, that, Mm -hmm. um, that sitting in a research lab doesn't necessarily tell me. So that's, that's awesome that one person was able to, to see you through your application and not just the
1: numbers. I appreciate that. And I, I could not agree with you more. In fact, I would go as far to say that most of what people feel the need to do and what a lot of kind of, uh, administrators like to see in terms of those box checking, you know, and research and labs and publications and all that stuff, which, yeah, it has a role, but I actually think the more, um, helpful skills that you pick up, like you said, as a soccer coach, but I'd even go as far to say, I love when people are waiters, waitresses, bartenders, those skills that I, now that I'm a resident, those skills are so so important because you're dealing with a public in a way that is very difficult and it shows that you can manage that. And I don't care how well you do on step one or MCAT, if you can't utilize and apply that information because you and the patient can't talk and you can't communicate and you can't kind of deal with some of the nonsense that you may have to deal with, which is very apropos to, you know, working in, in the service industry, then you can't be a physician. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think those are extremely important. And like you said, if you're passionate about something, you have to be true to yourself. And then you have to kind of show that and explain that in an essay and in an interview and show how that is who you are at your core and how that applies to more, you know, on a larger scale.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So you you get into medical school uh at, at 83 years old, and uh, <laughs> you you're going through this journey and um you, you sur- survived the MCAT, survive your post back, you're in medical school. what was what was the, the like the best thing about being a medical student?
1: Uh, it was honestly for me it was um, how, do I, how do I phrase it? it was well, it was twofold. I mean it was it was kind of like everyone else who got into medical school was kind of expecting to get into medical school so I I had my goal. I I had my trophy. Like, you know what I mean? Like I I reached the unachievable in my eyes. So it was kind of this sense of I made it. But then as soon as I was like kind of comfortable with the I made it, I then looked around me and said, Oh my God, I'm gonna fail out <laughs> of this place. <laughs> the imposter syndrome never stops. It never stopped. It probably got so it started in in post back and then it got extremely um jacked up in med school because uh you know here I am thinking a I got in through a very non-traditional way where I don't really belong here. B these kids, you know, the kids I sit next to in my post back were brilliant, but now Jesus, these are the kids that are like, you know, who got in. So this is the crop of the crop of the crop. These are the smartest kids. And how am I supposed to, you know, um compete with these guys. And and I'll never forget actually the first day um, I'm sitting in the first lecture was anatomy. And the med school I went to had a program where there was about like 10 seats that were held for these kids who did an accelerated program where they did two years of undergrad and then came right into med school because they were like that smart. They were like geniuses. Uh, so I was, I believe, 28 years old, and I had a 19 year old sit next to me. <laughs> Jerks! Was, why
0: are you so smart?
1: <laughs> I was like, you know more than I'll ever know, and you can't even legally have a beer. This is like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, it was a very interesting dynamic. But then once again, I started to utilize what was natural to me, which was again was to draw. Um, things weirdly fell into place. I worked really hard, but. What I find in medical school, which is not in um, pre-med or in post vac, the pre-med post vac classes you're taking are far more intellectually difficult than anything you'll do in medical school. Medical school is difficult because the volume, there's a sheer volume of information that you're expected to digest. And the rate at which it flows at you is very, very fast. Like the analogy of the fire hydrant trying to drink from that. Yep. And that's true. And I found once again to really kind of retain and understand and make the material my own, it, it came back to that idea of let me draw this stuff. So I had fun. I keep, um, Well, I shouldn't say <laughs> I tried to have fun. It was very stressful. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed the process of making these little kind of comics that were humorous but also sticky, and I retained them. Uh, and it was really the first time in my life that I consistently did well and not only well i did really well and ryan like that was crazy because here i am the art kid who was stupid and dumb and not supposed to get in anywhere and you know barely made it through post and barely did well in the mcat and barely got into med school now i'm starting to kind of be part of the top you know 10 of my class which was a very weird experience for me
0: that's awesome. And and a very common story that I, I see a lot from students who who struggle, like you struggled. And it's like, yeah, I I struggled a ton in undergrad, but I was top 10% in my med school. And and there's a there, as you mentioned, there's a a switch between really needing to be a lot smarter in undergrad and really understanding a lot of these complex things, to just being able to keep up in medical school. Mm-hmm. So that, that's awesome. So you you've continued your your artistry and you've kind of transitioned now into a lot of storytelling through your art uh, about your journey and about medicine on Instagram. Talk about kind of what your hopes and dreams are as you move forward in your medical training and and in your medical path, what that art looks like and, and what you're hoping to continue to accomplish with that.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for recognizing that. Ryan, I appreciate it. So, you know, I, I still, you know, I always tell the joke, you know, when I'm around my, my art friends from undergrad, I always identify as a doctor, not an artist. Now I'm around my doctor friends. I'm like, oh no, no, I'm an artist, I'm not really a doctor. You know, <laughs> that, that whole kind of st- imposter syndrome still there, but a little bit more humorous. But I, I really do think that I have been really blessed with the platform and, and with a kind of a, an opportunity to kind of, you know, like what we're doing today, share my story in the hopes of inspiring and helping others. And and my art has been a great vehicle for that. And so, you know, I have a lot of passions in terms of what I see in medicine. And, you know, I love patients. I love taking care of people and taking care of people is all about stories and being able to tell these stories. And um, there's education that's associated with that so there's medical education that you can teach people both patients and your colleagues and your peers and your medical students through art Um, and so I I think there's a didactic component to what I want to do there's an emotional component I mean there's very few if any other fields um, professionally where you are you know intimately taking care of people who are dying and or helping them get better and or helping the families deal with death and you're kind of uh, ingrained in that, which is really difficult. And then when you kind of mix into that, all of the sleepless nights and the, and the, you know, rough hours and just all this stuff where the, the kind of irony of helping others get healthy is like so wildly unhealthy for yourself and trying to cope with that. So there's a lot of pieces to this. And I, I really hope that I'm able to utilize my art, um, to help others and to help myself and to kind of show that through, through visual means.
0: That's awesome. And like the pediatric endocrinologist that you saw as a kid growing up with type 1 diabetes, that is your path for the future. Uh, did you envision any other specialties as you were going through your medical training, or was this the path for you the whole time?
1: So uh, I always wanted to stay open-minded. Um, you know, as an artist, I actually really appreciated some of the more kind of procedural fields. like I, I did think surgery should have been something more on my Uh, list of something I would enjoy, but the kind of lifestyle and the culture of it didn't really jive with me. Um, so, and I also really like, uh, this like continuity of, uh, being with the same patients over a long period of time and creating those relationships. And so I kind of like that component of it. I did have to make the very rather difficult, uh, decision as to, do I go down the pediatric road and do pediatric endocrine mm-hmm. or do I do adult medicine and then adult endocrine? Because, um, you have to go through pediatric residency to get to pediatric endocrine. And so yeah. I had to make the decision kind of early, um, and I always thought maybe pediatrics would be where I'd want to go. And then when I rotated through that field, I actually made the realization that I really like kids as kids, but not kids as patients. So I I made that decision rather early in my medical school career that I was going to do internal medicine. Um, there were some other things I also enjoyed. I mean, again, being an artist and in, in like the uh, the idea of kind of like a careful observation, I I enjoyed radiology a lot too. But I missed that human connection. Um, and then the other fields like OB-GYN was definitely not for me, just not, not my personality type and not my style. And, um, I, I also really enjoy like the puzzles of medicine, like the kind of Dr. House type things and mm-hmm. putting all the pieces together and creating interesting differential diagnoses and picking up the very subtleties. So, you know, internal medicine kind of allows all that. And endocrine also is, it has a bunch of, a bunch of interesting zebras that you can pick up on a lot of physical exam findings that I find very interesting. So it, it kind of met all my goals. And then the best part about it is, um, I have that personal connection and it, it just feels every time you get up in the morning and you're able to connect with someone uh, that that dynamic is so palpable when you have that, you know, type one diabetic who is struggling to maintain their A1C and, you know, it's kind of like showing your report card to your parents, you know, like Ooh, my A1C is a little high, <laughs> you know, but it's like, Oh, they see my pump and I tell them, Oh, like I get it. You know, like there's that understanding that I think allows uh, the patient to then go that extra step to try and do better. That's awesome.
0: Well, I'm excited uh, again to continue watching your journey through your arts and through your Instagram account. For the student listening to this who may be in a very similar position to you were in undergrad, m- maybe being told their whole life or, or experiencing their whole life that they're not very good at these math and science classes, but, that, but want to be a physician, what words of encouragement would you have for him or her?
1: I would say don't listen to these people. I think I think you yourself know what you we're We are very fortunate that we live in a, in a, in a culture in and in a society where yes, there are going to be a lot of boundaries and there's going to be a lot of hiccups and a lot of roadblocks, but you can choose what you want to do. And at the very end of the day, you put everything you can and if it doesn't work out, then you have no regrets. So I wouldn't listen to what the people that say, no, I wouldn't listen to people that say you're not cut out for things because no one really knows. And no one, you can't, you can't take any of that to heart. And the other thing I would say is, um just because you may be a little bit different maybe you're an art kid and maybe you're you know don't come from a culture of medicine or whatever it may be it doesn't matter and i actually think in some cases you have a leg up on your colleagues because the way that you your perspective and the way that you approach medicine is going to be far more valuable to your patients i think than some of the more traditional people that approach it so keep going do your thing don't give up
0: all right there you have it again dr mike natter go find him on Instagram, again, at mike.natter. Go check out his amazing artwork where he is telling his story, telling his life through his art and hopefully helping many people along the way. Hopefully this was helpful for you if you are doubting your journey. Hopefully Mike has helped you to overcome that, at least a little bit. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.